Hello, old friend. Hello. I know. Give me a second while I slide my way down in this very cold closet. Wow. Oh. Well, we said we were going to wait to cool until it cooled down. And, and we weren't thinking about the, it the other... It cooled down quite a bit. All at once. All at once. It's a, a wintry mess in here, full of pants. <laughs> it is a closet. Is a closet. As, as you know. Right. Yeah, as you know, it is the costume closet. Uh, we have, uh, we've returned. We've once again gone uh, up the stairs, around the corner, down the hall, and into where I keep the costumes. Closed the door, sat down to talk with our friends in another episode, in another season of... Two Clowns in a Closet. Nailed it. We sound so professional when we do. I know, right? It's so good. We even remembered it. We did, because I was a little worried. It has been months and months since season one. Yes, I think I think season one wrapped um, in April. It did. Just before my birthday. Right before your birthday, in fact. Yes. Right, we released the last episode. So uh, what we decided we're going to do this time, we have some questions in the queue, but it has been a number of months and a lot of interesting and, and big story things have happened. And so I, I wanted to, we wanted to use this episode to, to kind of bring everybody up to date yeah, answer, answer the question of what's been happening. Right, so we're going to do that, and then we'll be back to something closer to our usual format starting next episode. Yes. So, uh, if you've been curious where we've been, auditorially speaking, you are in the right place. Ta-da! Hmm. The other thing that is worthy of mention, because this episode takes us a little behind the... We're already behind the curtain, so I guess we're behind the behind the curtain? Yeah, it's like... It's like last season we were very much behind the curtain, and this time we're straight up personal, we're out of the theater and back, and like in our homes. Yeah, pretty much, pretty mm-hmm. much, and and for that reason, uh, we're covering we're covering some personal stuff. Yep, today which I th- today was going to be some personal personal stuff, and I do I do think it's worthy of note uh, to do a little to do a little content warning. Yes, we should do a content warning. This episode contains mentions. Of personal injury, mm-hmm. personal stuff, and COVID. Yes. Please understand that we are talking about stories from the last few months, and I can sit here as the storyteller, and my friend the storyteller can tell you that everything works out really well. However, on the way, it is a little stressful, and we do talk about things that hurt. Yes. Please come to this episode when you feel like you're ready for it. Yep. And there are transcripts available if it's easier for you to read that kind of content than to listen to it. Well, thank you for pointing that out. And thank you for doing all that work. You're welcome. It's a lot of work. It's worth it. It is. We've gotten a lot of wonderful feedback from people who've actually said that that was super helpful for them, whether they had internet issues, hearing issues, whatever the reason, I'm so glad we decided to take that on. Yeah. And I'm doubly glad that you do all the work and I get to just sit here and look pretty. Oh, well, you're doing all of the the audio work, so... Thank you. Are we going to slap each other on the back real quick? Congrats. Okay. With that in mind, I guess our imaginary card has the question, so what's been going on since season one? Actually, we do have a piece of paper right over there that says what's been happening. You really just want to take the air out of my sails right out of of the (laughs) gate. Okay. I wrote it down. I did what I do. I wrote it down. With your beautiful handwriting, with, with your beautiful fountain pens that we've spent... So much time talking, talking about, about last season. Back yes, before we were very personable, and when when this was awkward for us, now we're so comfortable. 
here's here's the thing. I was looking over the show notes while we were getting ready to film, mm-hmm. and I noticed that in the first episode of season one, like like we have this back catalog that goes on years, eight episodes, but but, but far back in the reaches of time, <laughs> I told a story about Stanley Allen Sherman. And Stanley Sherman is an incredible clown director. He's very well known as a mask maker and a teacher of theater mask, and is someone that I had an unusual connection with, which I talked about in the past, which led me to being on a very long phone conversation with him. And in that conversation, one of the things that came up was he told me that sometimes we return to things over and over because they're important to us. And I, I love that we're, I'm, I'm kicking off this by returning to that idea because I realize in talking about the, the, what was, if we go back in time, the next few months of storytelling, mm-hmm. we, need to, we need to realize that we're going to have to go back through it a few times to fill in details because otherwise, narratively, it stops making sense. We tried it. Yeah. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to do one theme at a time. Yes. Go through that chronologically. Yes. And then double back. And then double back. Don't worry, it won't be confusing, but it was if we don't do that. So I'm glad we talked about the thing we're not going to do. Yes. Right. So imagine we're time travelers taking you back now to the end of season one? Yeah, pretty much um, to the end. So so we released the final episode of season one on the day April before. 9th. Okay. April 10th is my birthday. And I had a very chill birthday of doing not very much. But April 11th was a gym day. And this is where our saga begins. begins. <laughs> um, so, as a gym day. One of, the, one of the things that we have been training, uh, and that I have been training for many years, is hand balance and handstands. And... As one does, you continually push to try to do more and more complicated things and to push your body to bigger extremes. And I was doing an exercise that was that at, at the limits of what you could do. It was. It was really at my at my top edge. And it was pretty early in the night. It was one of the first exercises I went into, and I probably hadn't warmed up enough. Let that be a moral to everyone. Yes, please warm up. Um, but I got up into the handstand uh, from this exercise and very quickly realized something was very wrong. Um, and I came down. And at first we thought, okay, not a big deal. Uh, I knew it was a big deal. I didn't know how big of a deal it was really? or wasn't. Because yeah. the, the thing I remember being on the outside... Mm-hmm. And I am not, I'm not a jumping on you at all. I asked you, as we often do, do you need a spot for that? Do you want someone to spot you on this difficult thing? And you're like, nah, I got it. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to step back and watch. And I watched you blow it and hit the ground. And I was ready. And I like pulled back the mocking finger, you know, ready to just mock you. And then you looked at me and I knew, okay, maybe it's not quite mocking time. Are you okay? Yeah, there, there wasn't really a good way to spot that particular exercise, sure. which is why I told you no. Um, but I, I hit the ground and I was... Like, I came down to my feet and then I rolled up into a ball. Uh, because, thus, thus beginning that content warning we just gave. Yes, uh, because my wrists, both of them, but particularly my right hand, 
really hurt. Um, and I knew I was done for the night. We put you on ice. Yeah. We immediately put me on ice. Um, I knew I was done. You continued doing the things that you could do for the rest of the night. I just sat there and chatted with everybody with my, with my wrist on ice. But we've had, we've had moments where things go wrong before where it was a little bit wrong. Whereas exactly you stop for the night and And you come back, you come back. Um, sometimes you stop for a couple of hours and then you go, Oh, I'm actually feeling much better. And I can come back at that point. Um, I rested the next day. Didn't use my hands very much. Uh, Wednesday came around. I knew I wasn't up for doing any handstands. I knew I wasn't up for doing anything that put my full body weight in my hands and in my wrists. But I was up for doing some of the other acrobatic tricks that we do. The stuff that, that where I'm held in uh, with my legs or, or flying in like a bird. Um, stuff where hand stuff is just sort of light, light support. And so we did that. Had an actually decent night. Yeah. That night. Yeah. Um, People said wow a couple times. That mm-hmm. was weird. And then Thursday, my wrists felt really bad. Um, once again, rested them, iced them. Um, Friday, we went in because I was like, you know, what? I'll do the same thing I did on Wednesday. We'll we'll be very chill. And. Um, there's a trick that where I jump up to sit on your legs. And you use your hands for balance. And I use my hands for a little bit of balance and no a little way. bit Almost of Almost no way. A little bit of a little bit of security. And I got up into that and immediately knew no. my wrists were done. I I could not do anything. And we knew we, we got you down safely, of course. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where you know, from from the ground, you're like, okay, this isn't working, and you just have to immediately get over your adrenaline and and check in on that. Mm-hmm. And of course, we ended up we ended up deciding it was we iced you off. We ended up saying, let's see how you feel when you got up, because again, there's that difference between I've pulled a muscle or I've really damaged something, and you don't know it first. Nothing we did made it worse, but it was very clear that you were not okay. It was very clear I wasn't okay. So the next day was all right. It's time to go get X-rays. I have um, pictures of your hands. You do. Uh, and, and so through through a series of x-rays and splints and um, staying off my hands for, for a couple of weeks, uh, seeing a few different doctors, the conclusion was I had managed to sprain both of my wrists. There was no breaks, luckily. Yeah. Luckily, no bone breaks. Um, but they were, they were pretty badly sprained and I ended up having, I think a full, it was at least a full month of just nothing. There was nothing. And we'll, and we'll loop back to that month, but there was a month where you had two splints, which you only came out of to go on ice, which was happening on a regular basis or uh, anti-inflammatory stuff, um, where we just had to all but feed you. We had to make food that you could do that with your I could, fingers. That I could hold with the splints and barely, like, between the fingers on each hand. Yeah, it was... It was a lot. It was a lot. Um, 
So and that I was, was glad I, I, I was glad we could all be there to take care of you. I could be there to take care of you because you were you were done. And the the whole the whole mission became, OK, our job has obviously changed. And what was interesting in that was, OK, what is the job? And it sort of became our job is to get you back to where you could start, start because retraining. because one of the things that they don't talk about in this work very often is injury is only part of the problem. Um, for for me, in the experiences I've had, it's not just if you injure yourself and have to stop. It's all that time you spend healing and they call it deconditioning, which is a, a, I have problems with the term, but it's the idea is that you, you've trained your body to a point where it can do all these things reliably and you lose some of that and you have to get it back after the healing has done. So we're, we're talking about the next, first there's this whole, we just get you through the initial healing, then there's physical therapy, then there's the beginning of retraining. Yeah. So this so, was months and months and so months. The, yeah. So this started with a solid month of just not doing anything. And... um and I want to, to take a, a small sideways turn on on talking about my recovery for a second and talk about what we were doing with that time. Because I was stuck sitting there with alternating ice. between having an ice pack on or just wearing splints. Um, but we were still running we were still running the gym three times three nights a week circus in place continued and and you became my coach during that time as you doubled down on working on handstands so so the backing up and moving forward the beginning of the the little bit of time travel that begins is that many years before now i trained handstands with a russian coach same one you trained with Uh and i i got there and it was wow i got there and almost immediately after i got injured and while I got into partner acrobatics, I didn't really go back after my handstand until years later. Yeah, until me... actually about about that year, we this this past couple of years. Right. Um, so the the point was is that I was just beginning to train this, and I and it is important to say something because if there's a victory that comes, there is a golden lining. You became my coach, and we said, "Well, you're stuck sitting on a couch. We've agreed to run this this very emotionally important social event." Why don't I just keep training and see how far I can go while you're while you're there? And that way also at any moment I could stop and help you with something, take yes. care of you. So, you know, the conveniences of training in your own house is you're right next to your own kitchen. Which is fantastic. So I'm sitting there and I decide to double down and train my handstand like I never really... The truth is like I never really did even back in the day. Yes, so you started doubling down on really training your handstand, and I got to do a very interesting experiment when it comes to uh, being a coach. Because one of the things that you'll see a lot of in, I think it's honestly pretty much any physical discipline, is that there is a assumed consent that a student is comfortable or will allow a teacher to physically touch them to help them with stretches or to um, show them the correct position in a thing. Or to spot them on something dangerous. Or to spot them on something dangerous. And 
I don't think there's anything about that that is inherently wrong. There is a contract of consent which, personally, from working both on the theater side and working on the circus art side, I will say I love it when that is very clearly spelled out. And that's the thing. A lot of the time, it isn't very clearly spelled out. and We try to do better. And, and I'm very interested in trying to do better. Of course. And figuring out how to navigate that. And one of the things that I also have noticed, though, is that even in the spaces where people are really good about asking for consent for these sorts of things, there's a certain level where... Okay, the instructor asks the student, do I have consent to touch you for whatever this drill is? But there's a sense that if the student were to say no... Then the training would be over. That the training would be over, the teacher would have no idea what to do in that situation, and everything would just sort of fall apart. And... I think that that's sort of sometimes that's a hundred percent necessary. Like when you are spotting for something complicated and dangerous. As a base who has taught bases and flyers, I will say that there will come a point in my training with that person that they will be grabbed in the name of saving their neck. They will be grabbed in some hand on butt. Gosh, I'm sorry that happened, but you're still alive. Way. Yes. So, so to be very clear, I'm not shaming anybody. No. But, but I had the opportunity where my hands were tied. <laughs> Literally. So I... Technically, they were Velcroed. They were Velcroed. Um, but I did, I couldn't, I couldn't touch you and without so, really risking damage to me. So the question was, could you be an effective coach in a completely hands-off hands way? Yeah. And and so I got to really look at what things worked and what things didn't work and where the limits of what you can reasonably do if a student is not comfortable being touched on a given day. Yeah. Um, how you can work around that and how you can make somebody comfortable and how you can still help them progress. I was I was fascinated because I've and I agreed to this experiment because I've had ha very hands on coaches coaches that would literally grab you by the ankles and pull you into the air. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very useful technique if you've got the strength. Yeah, but if you're not a hundred percent, don't do that. Um, also, again, grabbing some over the ankles and hanging them in the air like a fish implies a certain amount of consent needs to be there. I want to yes. stress that. But having the opportunity to both have that extreme and the extreme of there is no circumstance where this coach is going to step in and spot, correct, or do anything other than guide gave me one, one weird thing on the inside, which was I had to take full ownership of this thing in a way that I don't think happens until much later in a physical training process. Usually you learn to do something with safety belts and with spotters and everything else, and at a certain point you do it and you move away from the safety. And I'm not I'm not suggesting that I'm in any way I'm any way good at a thing that we're now talking about, but it is fascinating to realize that my progress became this is my handstand. I have a coach who is a smarter version of me conceptually mm -hmm. in my ear shouting things other than not just squeeze your butt, but other useful things. That's also useful. 
but also to have somebody there who you are a much better hand balancer than I am and being able to say, adjust this and trying to find a way to, to communicate that because you could tell my brain a hundred times and my brain gets it, but my body doesn't. We, uh, there's a, there's a phrase that I've heard bandied about, um, that the body doesn't speak English. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that could equally be applied to any other verbal language. Um, no body speaks body and body until speaks it, body. And until it gets it, it doesn't, it won't play. And it makes it makes for some very bizarre things that you end up using as cueing, because if particularly when you can't physically put somebody in a position and go, okay, no, this is what I'm looking for, you end up you end up suggesting things that are nonsense. And the thing that I remember most is you shouted an instruction at me. So I'm, I'm in a handstand, my feet are on the wall, and you're trying to get me in to properly balance it on my own. And you shouted an instruction that my brain short-circuited on, but my body followed your directions and a thing happened. And you told me to sit in a chair. I'm upside down, my hands are on the floor, my feet are on a wall, they're dangling in the air, and you say, sit in the chair! And I bend my body in, my hips followed your directions in a way that I don't understand. Like, I can't make sense of it now but you gave me this note and things started happening and of course that note and this is important was relevant to the way my butt sits in chairs and the way my body fails to do handstands it may not apply to everyone else i get that oh yeah the cueing is very much an individual thing um and sometimes it can be applied to many many people but but you have to really be watching what's going on in the moment with with the student in question and i'm not i mean i am not a practiced coach. This is me coaching somebody for the first time as well. So this is the first person I've oh. coached. Um, Spoilers. You did a really good job. Thank you. We'll get there. I appreciate that. Okay. But um, but yeah, so that, that was, it was fascinating. It was fascinating to do that. It was also very, very difficult for me uh, in, in one respect, which is that Historically, when I have helped people through doing acrobatics or hand balance, because I don't know what's going on in your head and I don't know what's going on in your body, while my body is not going to be the same as everybody else's body, that's just not how human beings work, one of the things I will do is I will watch what someone is doing I will look for the angles at which they're holding themselves and then I will try to reproduce that I've myself seen, I've seen you do some very bad intentionally bad tricks to try to demonstrate how to correct them and well, it's amazing one, to watch one is how to, demonst- to demonstrate how to correct them but, but more than just demonstration it's so that I can understand what, what has been done mm. Because oh, yeah. I have to be able to feel with my body what had to relax or what had to tense in order to put somebody into the position that they have found themselves. So without that toolbox, I, I feel like I'm reading off a card. Without that toolbox, what did you discover other than shouting weird phrases at people? Um, that it was, it was a huge limit for me. It was very, very hard. It made it much more difficult for me to help you. 
And I, I didn't, I can't say that I really got past that. I think that it made it so that you got less effective coaching. I will, I will agree that certain things where it would have been great if you could have just pushed me into something, I mean, physically put mm-hmm. your hand on something. While that might be true and it probably slowed some things, there were some other things that once I, I got there, I think the, the energy I got from the victories pushed me to the point where you were able to coach me further because I was willing to try because I was doing it. And it wasn't just the magic trick of it's working because the coaches, they're making it work. I think that's one of those things that I remember so vividly when I was studying with a previous coach and we, I would throw myself at the wall or I would throw myself in the air and he would, he could catch me. I would barely try it when he wasn't in the room, which is what slowed me down because ultimately I felt like the only way I was quote unquote safe was with the coach. Was being with the there. coach. When you have the additional truth that after that, like I said, after that coaching on my own, I got injured. Yeah. I have a trauma about being upside down that mm-hmm. relates to that and getting, I had to work through that on my own terms. And there were moments where that meant I went up, there was a panic attack. I came down and you were there for me supportively, but ultimately I had to get off the floor and try again, or this process was going to stop. There was, there was no other person. And weirdly as tough love as that sounds, I found it not tough. love. I feel, I felt very supported. Because I was there to talk you through it, but you were still the one who had to get yourself off the floor. But it was empowering Yeah, because I could find it on my own. And for that, it was, it was really interesting to learn to let the baby bird fly on its own. To, to be, I'm the baby bird uh, in that analogy. Yes. I want to I want to be very clear uh, on one thing with people, though, is that we were working with you against a wall. Wall. A safety mat was nearby. I had a, I had a visual spotter to make sure I wasn't doing anything dangerous. And I had already been training with you coaching me hands-on for months. Yes. We're not talking about go throw yourself at the wall. That's different. Please, if you're going to try the things we're talking about, remember... We're having a discussion as backstage, as performers who are trained in doing physical arts. Yeah. So, so it's it is. It, so it wasn't me just going, oh, yes, do the thing and, and endanger yourself. That be- was not what I was doing. I believe we have disclaimered ourselves blue in the face. Cool. Moving on. Moving forward. There, so, was, there was a victory that finally came, though. Yes. After months and months, two things happened I think are significant. One, we're going we're gonna to use our time travel ability and come back to which is you recovering. But the other was on July 20th, I founded my own personal holiday. Yes. On July 20th, after months of me feebly throwing myself into this ridiculous configuration that human beings should not do, I stuck a handstand for real. Not a bad thing that was almost a handstand if I could just fix it, but I successfully did the thing well enough to call it a handstand. Yes. And I, at that moment, I hit the ground. I mean, this, this is two years of work. And I stopped and I was like, was that it? And, and I said, yes. You were like, yeah. I said, are you sure? You said, do it again. I did it again. Something clicked. And from there forward, I got significantly better. And so I declared the holiday turnip day, as in turn upside down. It is a stupid name for a holiday. And I will fight you if you come after me about it. I do not care. I love it. I love that you have Turnip Day. I have Turnip Day. Turnip Day is on my calendar. Turnip Day will likely be celebrated in some way in coming years. And it was it was success after slogging through so many months of 
frankly, this sucks and I hate it. Yeah. I loved what I was working towards. I love the goal, but no one likes conditioning exercises. And I, and I feel the need to stress this. I am not a jock. I am a very lazy couch potato of a human who likes to play with their brain and be silly. So to tell me you're going to do push-ups and you're going to do kick-up drills and you're going to do wall planks and you're going to do all... I'm going to get very angry a lot. And, and you put up with that very well. I did. I did. Well, I knew I couldn't hit you because you couldn't hit me back. Because you were... Fair point. In the, you yes. couldn't punch yet. So, like I said, the, the, the flashing forward and then back was that with all of this effort came this weird victory, which is you successfully coached me in a process to where I succeeded and I got my handstand. And since then, I have made significant progression. I won't say I'm good at anything. I'm not. No, but you are... I wouldn't say you're not good at... Well, thank you. At it. But you definitely have, have just just leaps and bounds since it's, that point. It, it, is, it is something I can say I do badly. And I'm super... I'm always the person... I'm like, I'm the worst handstand doer in the room, but I'm in the room. And that, to me, is very significant. Yes. And I feel like that's important. So that's, that's sort of, that sort of wraps up like the coaching side of that story. Yeah. So rewinding back, we have more of your, your recovery was kind of an interesting process. It was. So um, I am exceptionally lucky in that I got the opportunity to actually receive medical care for this. Um, I found myself with an occupational therapist within a range that I could walk to their office. Which was good because you weren't driving. Yes. And... I had the opportunity to be at occupational therapy twice a week for a significant amount of time. And so I got to work with an incredibly skilled doctor, a therapist, who helped me train myself back to the point where I had functional functional wrists and functional hands again. Watching you make progress was so amazing because we always talk about how progress is not a straight line. We always say this, it's this wavy line and making this wavy gesture in the air. But watching you have a good day and push your limits to new places and then crash And have a bad day that I I couldn't even practice. Yeah, well, you couldn't lift a a spoon that day. It was watching you go through that. It's brutal to watch, but it's also really an amazing reminder that these things are not linear. Skill progression, recovery, you know, learning. They're not they're not these things that you just keep doing and you slowly incrementally get better. I feel like you did such a you, and you put the work in. It takes a lot of work. It takes It was a, a full-time lot of work. job. Getting well for you was a full-time job for a while. It really was. Um I I appreciated the heck out of out of my therapist because she was marvelous. It was very funny though because she I was the first I was the first circus performer she had ever worked with. Oh wow. So there was a certain level where she wasn't sure what to do with me because she's she was the person who does hand and wrist recovery um at the location I was I was going to. So it's not that she was unfamiliar with how wrists work. 
but as an occupational therapist, the thing, the things that she was used to getting people back up to being able to do are things like being able to, to type and to get dressed and to drive a car and to navigate through your day in a day-to-day way. Not use these things as feet. Not not use your hands as feet. Yeah, mm. and I, I made it very clear when I went in, oh, I need to get back to the point where I can use these as feet. <laughs> and okay. I'm, once again, I was very lucky in that she was totally on board. Ready she was like, challenge. all right, let's do this. Okay. Um, she also expressed a fair amount of enjoyment in having a in in having a patient who knows something about how you train your body about the non-linear way in which that works about how to judge for yourself how much is too much oh yeah because I actually introduced her to some new phrasing and new ways to talk about it, which I think is really funny. Um, because one of the things they have you do, because they're trying to make it as, as clear and documentable a science as they can. So they have you rate your pain level. Um, one to 10 or zero to 10. It's a a scale of zero to 10. How much pain are you in? And 10 is essentially the most pain you could possibly be in that you, you, the, the, the worst pain you can imagine and zero being none. And this scale is bogus. Oh, it's totally bogus. They really, really want to pretend that that is a thing that is, reproducible that is um not arbitrary that is that is scientific it's not um it was also really nice she was willing to admit that it's not um because everybody's concept of pain is different how everybody interacts with their body is different how what they have experienced what they haven't experienced is going to be different um and and people's imaginations are different so you know 10 is always supposed to be the worst pain you can imagine well one a person who has been through childbirth has a different standard for what the maximum pain they can remember is than somebody who hasn't. But it's hard to say who could extrapolate out to a higher level based on pure imagination power. The other problem is memory. So I, I have done some dumb stuff to my body throughout my life. And so I have like mentally at times of injury went, yep, that's the most pain I've ever felt. And so... Unfortunately, when talking about these pain scales, my brain, my brain is going, yeah, that's about a falling off a unicycle in a particular way, or that's, that's about 
this injury. Yeah, it's just exactly. that's, that's a tough. That's how people I, do. I want to. Can we can we slide forward? Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> but on the on the phrasing and the terminology that I brought up, so you're dealing with stretching, and you're dealing with rehabilitation on 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 muscles that have not been used for a while. And one of the things that is not helpful is doing an exercise to the point where you are experiencing the worst pain. Oh, no. That you feel like you can. No, no, no. You don't want to do that. What you want to do is work to a point where you're dealing with sensation that is uncomfortable but bearable. I, I pulled the phrase sensation from circus performers talking about rolling out on a foam roller which is done to help relax the muscles and help rehabilitate after doing heavy work um and it's really interesting because the human body is not very good at expressing what is okay what is not okay i have a lizard that lives in the back of my brain that only knows one sentence we're going to die. And all it can do is express that more or less loudly. So the things you're talking about, I'm trying to map this to my own experience. And the things you're discussing, we're like, that's a lot of sensation, perhaps a negative sensation. My brain is going, that's when the lizard's getting conversational. When it's not so bad, the lizard's just going, we're, we're going to die. It's just kind of quiet about it. And so I have a lot of trouble with this because I, I approach this entire thing different. I also notice something about us that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And this is with no judgment statements. I am strong and not very flexible. You are, and I am, by comparison, fairly flexible and not, not as strong. Not as physically strong. And I wonder sometimes, especially the, the minute you get near the topic of stretching, mm-hmm. my brain, the lizard, immediately goes, oh, where's the mic? <laughs> I got things to say. Um, and, and I, before I ran into this phrasing of calling it sensation... The body only has an on-off switch as to whether it says that something is. You can just say no. I am experiencing. Yeah. I am experiencing a thing. Warning, or not. Like that is how the nervous system works. It's got the, volume. The brain has to deal with. It's got volume. It's actually just got repeats on signal. You think? Yeah. Oh, I got volume. It, there, there isn't volume. Your brain says there's volume. Okay. Because your brain says not only is that nerve yelling. But the cluster of nerves near it are also yelling. So therefore, that's a louder volume. Or it's yelling repeatedly. The nerves don't actually do that. Like, individual nerve just sends signal, something's happening! Can I make an observation? Uh-huh. I think um, during that time where you were stuck sitting, you did you did a lot of looking things up about pain on Wikipedia, didn't you? No, um, I had done that in the past. Um, okay, because I'm... <laughs> wow, you got smarter. No, I'd already known that. Um, I... You were smart before, I but got I think into, got... I got into dance. Mm. I was in ballet when I was five. And I was in dance from when I was five to when I was about 15. And over the course of that, one of the things that's done a lot in ballet is you are pushed to stretch. You are pushed to be able to reach um, reach the maximum of of certain certain stretches. And up to and including me having a dance instructor who, when asked why she became a dance instructor, said it allows me to cause people pain 
and they pay me for it. This was at the point where we were teens <laughs> that she said this to a room of her students, but she did. There's an outtake reel that happens right here that we're not doing. I'm just... Yep. And I, just, I just think there's a whole... There's a secondary conversation. If anyone wants to ask us that that's a separate thing, but... Moving and, on. But so what I was taught... What I was taught in learning about stretching at that period of time was that there is good pain and bad pain. Remember that outtake reel? Yep. And I think that that's... I think that's problematic for dealing with training physically because... It's not, strictly speaking, inaccurate, but I do think talking about sensation is is a healthier way to discuss it. Um, But there's also sort of different, like your brain will flavor pain in different ways. I think from having done some things where I physically push my limits, one of the the studies I looked at at some point, I, I don't know where or when, was the idea that we're, as a, you know, as, 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 physical machines always holding back a certain percentage of our limits as a safety mechanism. That's, that's our fight or flight stuff. Yeah. We're always holding that back. And I think one part is learning to uh, manage your adrenaline such that you can access that in a way that does not lead to a trauma reaction or, or freak out. Mm-hmm. But also there, there's a little, you know, red warning light that goes off and, it, and some of it is ignoring the warning light and some of it is knowing, okay, I'm past the warning light there is a definite limit where stuff breaks, goes wrong, goes off but the rails. But where am I at? But where and am I within exactly that continuum? It. Is yeah. that, for example, when you're stretching, and this is once again, train with somebody in the room who knows their stuff, don't just listen to me, but there is, when you're stretching, you will reach a sensation, arguably pain, where it is that warning light going off. But if that is sort of a diffused, more soft, more um, warm or just tension pain, that's fine. Take a deep breath. Try and see if you can focus on the parts that hurt and relax them. And if you can do that, you can go further into the stretch. However, if something feels a sharp pain, if something refuses to relax, don't try to push further. That is where you will do yourself damage. There's a fantastic thing in the way musculature works where if you have an injury, and this this can be both amazing and dangerous, mm-hmm. where if you have a particular part of your body that is injured, all of the stuff around it will uh, step into support. And it'll seize up. And that won't let go. And it, it will basically hold everything in spasm because it thinks, I'm holding this this thing together. Even if it's wrong and anatomy has then done something terrible. And I have unfortunately been in the room where I have seen... Uh, dislocations, things like that, that that the muscles had to be unspasmed before it could be dealt with. Yeah. And so there's there's an interesting there's an interesting place there to also realize that if you that holding of tension is the enemy of so much useful work. Because on one hand it is a logical survival mechanism. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, nothing good happens it, with tension. 
no. And so, so, so the, the reality is figuring this stuff out for yourself in your body, becoming familiar with the sensations your body gives you, learning what is safe and what is not safe is something that is an acquired skill. Some people have, some people have it more naturally. Some people it's easier to develop and some people have reasons why their brain really does not do that well at all. And that's just the range of human experience. But when you're dealing, but so to, to, to go back to my, my therapist, for her, a ton of the people who she sees are not people who tend to be active or tend to be in their bodies. Uh, oh, most wrist injuries in most wrist injuries come from tripping, falling, and catching yourself on your hands. That's like the number one wrist injury mm. that yeah. anyone gets, and that happens to. Honestly, that primarily happens to people who aren't particularly in their bodies, which means that a vast majority of the patients that this person sees don't have a good concept for when they need to stop. Because when you're healing and when you're stretching and when you're practicing, there is a point that is too much. And so a big part of her job on a normal basis is actually when when she has somebody do an exercise and they push really hard and she asks them afterwards what their pain level was at and they tell her that they made it to an 11 out of 10 but they held on she's just sad because the likelihood that they're doing themselves damage instead of trying, instead of getting, instead of getting it done as fast as possible to get themselves back up and going, which is where they're coming at it from. Uh, so a huge part of her job is to say, no, you need to slow down. You're going to re-injure yourself. So for her to run into me, who's had as much of a history with training my body, with stretching, with building the strength in the first place... And I happen to, to have been trained in ways where I was told to be very careful about my limits. When I never tell, when I tell her the maximum number she hears from me as to how much pain I had during an exercise is a five. And I tell her that I, that I hit a five and I stopped because I needed to and took a break and came back and finished it out. She was just super happy. <laughs> It's it's interesting where so many people have you know a distance from their physicality. It's something that I struggled with in the first half of my life. Uh, I was very I was not a, a sporty person as a kid. I was not an athletic adult. It was only when I got into circus did I get in any way into my skin. And then there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff there that you're you're avoiding, I think, uh, whether it's physical injury, trauma, fear, and it takes a long time. And all I can all I can come up with listening to the way you worked with your therapist, listening to the way that you trained with me, listening to the way that I watched your physical recovery back to doing acrobatics and hand balance is that 
the slow and steady pace is the only one that works. I've watched so many people out of the gate throw themselves into physicality so hard they had something to prove they they weren't strong but they were they were foolish enough to just do it which is impressive and useful but because there was no technique there was no discipline to it and because they didn't pace themselves every single one of those people I've ever met had an injury like you're describing Mm-hmm. without the foundational knowledge and the foundational physicality that you built up. And that ended them. I think one of the things that I'm sitting here, and we're talking about it after the facts that were so casual, we were sitting there having a real discussion of, is that it? Are, are we, are, is that done? And it was a real, it's a real question. I mean, I am so excited that we pushed through it and we got past it. But this was this was a very real event, and it and it took months. It took months and months and months. Um, I am still not back to no. full capacity. Um, We're probably at about seventy percent of where I was before my injury. Because we've been adding little things back to our training as you're capable of doing them. Just just in the past, I think it was just last week. I did the exercise. That I had been injured in. And what was so great, you had spent so much time retraining. And we both knew it was coming. But you had spent so much time training and preparing and re-strengthening. And you went and did it. And not only did you do it, but you were better than before you got injured. I was. I will own that. I was better than before I got injured at that particular, that particular piece. And there's still pieces, there's still stuff we haven't done you, you because can, it was at too much do. of a risk. Yeah, or, or you, you, we try the, the pieces of it and it doesn't feel right. So even coming back, there isn't a moment where you go, it's all better now, let's do everything. No, there's a steady progression up and down, good days and bad. And we do it, you know, we do it till it feels wrong. And then we go, okay, let's put this one to bed. Let's take some notes on what we need to focus on for next time. And we go back to it. And I think if you approach it any other way, well, you're just going to turn that injury into a permanent part of your life. Yeah. And and so it was it was very interesting after I finally got a handstand back and my therapist fired me. <laughs> On the spot pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, I managed to do a handstand right before we had a, a reevaluation period. And so I was like, "Well, I've managed to I've managed to balance on my hands." And by the end of that day, she was like, well, we're here if you need us. Give us a call. Um, but we're done. And I still had a long way to go. I'd, I'd recovered by it to a huge degree, but I still had a long way to go. Um, I had been very amused to discover that the... I think we've mentioned it on this podcast before, but the grip, the grip training exercises that we do... Yeah. She assigned me... The baby version. The 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 without any additional weight. We we called it the baby version, version because I was of doing all mine. Of the same ones. I was doing mine with weight, trying to strengthen my wrists. And I was just do, going through those same motions without even holding any, without without even an object in my hand. And it was it was really fun to sit there and do them together. As I someday you'll do it with all the weight, and you do now. I do. Yeah, yeah. I've gotten back to well, some. not all the weight, but some of the weight. We're getting there. Um, but you know. Then I had to start 
rebuilding, and this was one of the most frustrating parts for me. One of the most frustrating parts was I write up a gym for us so that we don't have to think about what exercises we're doing next while we're working out. And that's that's your that's your job, but it's a it's a job that we we develop it together. We develop it together, but, but you're, I, you're managing I, it. I'm managing it. And so and particularly since it was for my rehabilitation, Absolutely. I had to manage it. And the reality was I had to go in and write up something that I felt would be challenging if I was having a great day. And I had to be prepared for the likelihood that I was not having a great day, that I was having a mediocre day or a bad day when it came to where my wrists were at or where the rest of my body was at, to be perfectly honest, because by that point, having to isolate both wrists really made it so there was very little I could do. Because when you're working on a lot of other things, you want to at least be able to theoretically catch yourself if your balance goes off. Um, and, And when both wrists are completely out of the picture, you can't do those things. So my... So my whole body wasn't at the level that it had been before I got injured. So I would have, I would write up this gym knowing that you were going to fail, that I was going to fail. And that was hard to watch you do that, but it was also wonderful to watch you get the little victories and then step back and say, and watch you realize if you're doing something as a, as a life practice, which, you know, this is, mm-hmm. if you're doing something on a regular basis, that, okay, so today I did five of something or I did two or I did one of something and it was perfect, but I want to walk away with that victory and come back to it next time. You don't have to max out everything. I think there's a really toxic success concept where best of the best is not super useful. If if I have to do something once, I can be best of the best. But if my job really is to be able to do this as if it were normal... And to be able to do this every day, to be able to do this reliably, it's a much different prospect than than pushing your limit to injury. Yeah. And when you're coming back from an injury, it's really, it's really, it was inspiring because I said, okay, I'm going to be here and not, the handstand stuff is important to me, but the, the partner acrobatics is the reason I'm here. I yeah. love, I love picking you up in the air in weird ways. And some of those things are dependent if they go right, they're dependent on us both just being awesome. And if they go wrong, they're dependent on me being able to get you to the ground and you being able to catch yourself, which may involve a hand. And if you didn't have it that day, we didn't try it that day. And Mm -hmm. having to be good with that and stay positive when you, you know. When you didn't get to play either. Yeah, Yeah. this was a day day where this is a push-ups day. We're doing push-ups today. There's no fun today. And you're just going to love that and have a good time. And you're like, and you know, your inner child is going, but I want to do the awesome superhero thing. And, And you're not getting to do that is is frustrating but the cool thing is then you have those moments where you feel good i feel good and we kind of go do you want to try that and and then what i thought thought was so funny is then it was the opposite then i was like um we haven't done this in seven months are you sure and, and i'm like, like let's do it <laughs> and then we do it and i'm the one who's freaking out and needs to be reassured 
whether or not I've got the skill, the, the strength, the technique, not even the standard, just needing to call me that I'm not going to screw it up. Yeah. That was very funny. So, so at this point, we're we're back to, we're we're, there. we're we're definitely getting there, and it's more good days than bad days, but it's it's still a thing. We're still we're still doing rehabilitation, and like, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I have maintained a practice of doing coffee handstands, and by that I mean. Ages ago, I had a period of time where my coach um, went on a vacation and was gone for two months. And I made it through one month of that and realized I hadn't practiced. At all. At all. And that if I didn't find a way to make myself practice, just trying to keep up in the room was going to kill me. Well, you were going to lose what was at that time a couple years of work just to atrophy of the skill. You know, that was not how I thought about it. I just thought about how how awful trying to be back in that classroom was going to be. <laughs> um, but uh, I went, okay, so what am I going to use as my trigger for doing handstands? If only you had a constant addiction that you needed to feed a couple times a day that made you really happy and gave you a rush of dopamine and adrenaline that you could train as the reward for a task you don't 100% love doing at the time. And as it happens, caffeine is an addiction that I have. So I I made a rule for myself that before any caffeinated beverage, so not just coffee, tea also counted, um, before any ca- caffeinated beverage, I would do a handstand. And this started to really work for me. And it worked for me consistently enough that well after the point where my coach came back and I was training with him again, and I I just kept doing it. It was the one thing that was consistently making it so that I was working on handstands. So even when we doubled down on doing handstands, still on the off days, I was doing coffee handstands. And eventually I started getting to the point where I was actually doing one with a kickoff from each leg as a singular coffee handstand. Like, that was the cost of a coffee for me. Plus the beans. Plus the beans. And uh, and in the, in the past, when I had run into those days where you have to take a day off because you've done something and your wrist is angry at you and you know everything's going to be fine after a rest day, but you really need to have one, I had done something where... As I bullet journal, it was easy for me to keep track of it. I would create a coffee handstand count. You owed the bank. I owed myself you are the X bank. number of coffee handstands. And I had a very strict rule for myself that I've had a couple of different points in the past where I had even so much as a week where I couldn't use one wrist or the other because of repetitive strain that didn't get to a point where which I was making sure didn't get to a point where it became an ongoing disabling thing for me. So I I had had in the past up to a week where I wasn't doing handstands. And so I would build up this coffee handstand count. And then so as to not just injure myself when I came back, it was that, okay, when I feel okay... 
do two sets of coffee handstands before each coffee and whittle it down slowly until the point where I'm back to just doing the coffee, the, the handstands for the coffee in question. And you kept the count through so, your injury. So when I injured myself this time, I kept the count. Everyone is going to ask, how high did the number get? I've forgotten. I know it was in the 200s. Okay. I will have to look up what the actual coffee count max was. And where are you now? I am currently at 102, as how many I still owe. I am actively trying to stay on track to have to clear my coffee handstand count by the one year anniversary of my injury. But that is how serious this was. Yeah. Was that that is what the reasonable goal is. A year. Is a year between the accumulation of that coffee handstand count and actually clearing it. And so you're on track. You're doing you're doing well. Yes. I'm actually on track to potentially be done with it a full month in advance, but I have no faith that I won't have some days where I'm not up to it and I'll eat through that month of You definitely of, you learned your lesson. That's what I'm hearing. You yeah, learned. You learned. Yeah, you learn. So that that pretty much wraps up the, 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 the saga of your wrists, which got to the point where people would literally pop into a video chat and say, how are your wrists? Which is, it's super supportive to have people checking on you. And, it was and lovely. It was wonderful every single time. It always felt like I was in the room with you, me, and your wrists. It was, it was, it was always because of, how are they you, were their how own are things. you, and how are your wrists? They were their own topic, and I'm glad to say your wrists are doing okay. Yeah, they're doing all right. Um, the the other the other topic activating the time travel is around around the time of you getting fired by a uh, little bit before probably probably a week or two before I got fired yeah uh, which which was just after that big victory of mine that I mentioned earlier in fact in fact I know it must have been a month it must have been a month before I got fired okay right around that time you gave me what I regard as the worst birthday present of my life because. To be clear, I was going nowhere except for walking twice a week to my occupational therapist's office, putting on an N95 that had been properly fitted, because I am exceptionally lucky and have somebody in my life who could do that, and spending an hour with my occupational therapist. Who was also in a mask. Who was also wearing a mask. Despite that... You managed... She had... I saw her on a Thursday. Found out the next Tuesday that she hadn't been feeling well by the end of the day Thursday. That she had had a really rough weekend. But that she tested negative for COVID. So she was probably fine. Saw her that Tuesday. Saw her that next Thursday. And by Friday, I had a little tickle in my throat. And by Saturday, I had way more. And unfortunately, and again, we, we made warnings about this earlier, but you gave you gave me a set of a case, a set of COVID. A it set felt, of COVID. It felt like more than one. That's why I say it that way. But you gave me a case of COVID 
that was bad enough that within a short period of time, I ended up in the hospital. Yep. And uh, I was in the ER because, honestly, we thought I was having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am... It was terrifying because that is not a thing I'm prone to or historically known for. Uh, but we rushed me to the hospital and they took really good care of me. And they tested everything. I haven't been sick in a long time. They have chest x-rays, needles and blood and look in places and everything. And after a while, I'm laying there. I'm joking with the nurses between panic attacks because when I'm afraid, I tell jokes. That could be why I'm me. But I'm sitting there, and I'm having as good a time as I can at this point because there's no good time to be had. And it is the day before my birthday. Yep. Okay? The day before my birthday. For the record, so it's on the permanent record. It was the day before my 50th birthday. And... Um, I'm laying in the hospital, and a slightly older, exasperated doctor walks in, sits down, and goes, you've got the same damn case of COVID everyone else I have seen has. It sucks to be you. I think you're going to be okay, but I got to tell you, you are in amazing physical shape other than the COVID. Which is the best worst thing you've ever heard. When you're sitting there worried, you're genuinely afraid. I I don't I don't get sick often. I don't I don't think about it. But you know, I I got aches and pains, and you're always in the back of your head. You're worried. Getting older could could fall apart at any minute. To have a doctor sit down and say, other than the plague you've been afraid of for a very long time, you're doing great. It's kind of annoying. And the tone was, I'm kind of annoyed with you. <laughs> and so I, I said. Thanks. And then we were talked a little bit more about the particulars of it. And I said, um, let me ask a, a question, which was obviously fueled by the high fever I had, which was, when will I be able to train again? And he gave me some outlines about breathing and heart rate and stuff like that. He said, as far as I'm concerned, if you feel up to it, you can hit the gym tomorrow. You won't want to. And, and sent me home. I want to clarify something. What? You never had a fever. I never had a fever? We checked. You continually had fever-like symptoms. You did not have a fever. If you had had a fever, I wouldn't have let you train. That's true. You're right. It's one of my It's one of my few rules about when you don't train. You don't train when you have a fever, and you don't train if you're dizzy. That's true. That's true. So pick another colloquial sim- symptom that would have made me a little wonky in the head to ask such a question, but I did. Mm-hmm. It could just be that I have my personality. Many people have said that that personality is something I should be concerned about. So there you have it. In any case, returning to the stumbling thing I call a narrative, I'm sent home and I am feeling moderately dreadful. Um, and I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking, you know, I just very shortly beforehand got that turnip day. And I don't want it taken away from me. Because I've been injured and lost a thing. I said, I don't want it taken away from me. I said, what if I just did as much as I could? And that doctor was wrong. Because the good news of this story is that on my birthday, I did a damn handstand. Yes, I did a, you did. I did a bunch of damn handstand. I did my job. I didn't do everything. I fell out real quick-like. 
but I got, I, I kept it and I trained. Now, to be clear, I am training at home. I am isolated. Everyone around me, you know, we were, we were past any, we were past any concerns. And anybody I've mentioned was cheering me on was in a video chat. So it was, it was not a, a safety concern to do that other than for myself. And I, we had monitors on me to check. So that's the, that's the good news. The bad news, and it's, it, it's embarrassing and hard to talk about, is that I've been experiencing long COVID. Um, everyone who has seen me training sees me on a good day. Mm-hmm. From, you know, and there For the are, most part, yeah. Yeah, there's been some good days that weren't so good. Um, but I've been, I've been struggling, and brain fog is a thing. And f- for a long while, up until about a month ago, the problem was I was having trouble breathing, and I would have to stop. And what we, what we explored and learned about was that, for me, this is my experience, I was having a lot of chronic fatigue symptoms that I'm still struggling with. And exercise within a safe limit seemed to be beneficial to my situation. And I'm going to say, I am not a doctor. I'm a clown. I am not a doctor. And I was listening to my body. And the minute it said rest, I rested. But I kept doing physical activity. And I, from the way I feel, feel like that's why I have any energy now, why I'm doing okay now. The bad news is that I'm still... I'm still a bit of a struggle. I'm still not okay. Um, even sitting here right now, we I rested all day yesterday to do this recording, and I'm I'm having a I'm having a pretty good day. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you this: um, it's so real and scary, and it was probably and it was it was sick in a way I've never been sick, and the weird feeling that comes from going back and forth between feeling okay enough to do a physical skill that I had trained myself up to that is only a thing well people do in my head and being literally flattened for days at a time and having to be cared for did a number on my head. I mean, it really, it really was something I was like, am I faking? Was a question I constantly asked. If I'm good enough to do this, why am I feeling that? And I'm watching you, and I'm like, no, nobody could fake this. You're you're miserable, and I'm, yeah, and, and really struggling. And I think what was so, what was so difficult on the far side of it was to know that it didn't matter what I did. There was going to be good days and bad days. It was very much a, a spoon theory or a match or match. It wasn't match theory because it wasn't it wasn't a matter of whether or not I burned them all. It was this idea that some days I had good days and I was very lucky and. I think the thing that I am so grateful for is that I was surrounded by friends online and friends here, thank you, who who were very understanding, were checking in with me and supportive, and also were just, I mean, they were just there. And I think a lot of times we don't value presence enough. That's something I learned while being sick, I got reminded of. There were days where I couldn't really hold together a conversation. But people were there hanging out with me, doing their own thing in some cases, but they were hanging out with me in a video chat just so I wasn't alone. And that meant, that meant so much. 
that someone would gift me their time. And if I ever wondered what the purpose of what we do on a greater scale as an entertainer is about, it's, I think it's about trying to project that even harder. It's not about the tricks. It's about being there with people because being sick and lonely sucks. Being, being sick and surrounded by your friends who are at a safe distance, who are laughing with you about it, that's a good feeling. Because then you're like, well, yeah, we all know this sucks. So I, I, wanted to, I wanted to take a moment to say thank you. I wanted to take a moment and own the fact that um, I'm still having good days and bad days. More, more good than bad days lately, which mm-hmm. is nice. Uh, yeah, so... We'll, we'll see how that goes. As far as what that's meant on a day-to-day basis, that's meant that I've been training and I had to take a couple of months off of doing mask making and some of the art projects and writing projects I've been working on. I have recently gotten back to those a little bit and it felt so good to to work on, like, finish it. I had a mask that was half finished and I finished that mask and it, I had to go slow and work on it and lay it down and work on it and lay it down, but I got it done and putting that off to you know putting that away because it was finished was such a big feeling because it it started to feel like okay I can do more than just rest some days so yeah there's you you learn to narrow your scope they talk about in clown that there's this magnifying glass we have this magic magnifying glass they can take big moments and make them small and small moments and make them big And this was one of those moments where every little thing was a win. Every little thing was was joyous. And everything that sucked just sucked. And so you just just roll past it. So um, what I can can say on the end of that is that I'm still here. I'm still going. Uh, Please be careful. Because uh, I stayed in the house. You didn't go anywhere. I didn't go anywhere. I I managed to catch a case of COVID without going anywhere. And so it was, and I've been isolated and I've been very careful. We haven't been performing. And so this late in the game to have that experience just tells me it's not over yet. And please be very, very careful with yourself. That's what I'm going to say to the world. Be careful with yourself in making your choices, make them safely, and make them safe for you and others. And and lest anyone um, misunderstand what was said at the at the beginning of talking about um, my having caught COVID and giving it to you, where where it began with a sniffle. You got very sick for about. I a week. also got very sick for about a week and continued to have some symptoms, though not nearly as badly as you have. Sure. Since that point, I'm sorry. I Some didn't of mean which to roll I, over you. I don't mind. You oh, have good. you're 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 the one who got significantly more affected. But I want to make it clear that even a mild case sucked. That even a mild case sucked. So, I will tell you this, my friends. I hate talking about this topic. Not because of, not because it was, it's something I don't want to talk about. And it's not about me and my sad. But it's been the boogeyman in the back of everyone's head for so long that now that it's now that it got me, I don't think I'm quite at the pull out my pain and play with it place yet. I don't think I'm quite at the place where it's funny yet. No, but it might not be for quite some time. 
yeah, check in with me later to see if it's funny. But uh, for now, yeah, just take it seriously because, wow, um, it ain't over. Nope, it's not. Let's pull the lever on the time machine one more time. That sounds good to me. Because I think we've 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 talked injury and COVID. We've talked injury and illness, and we promised we, we got to end somewhere good. We promised uh, some other uh, quite personal stuff, which I think comes back to me. Sitting in a chair. Sitting in a chair. So, backing up again to me sitting in a chair, alternatingly icing my wrists and not being able to move them. I reach I mean I was at the point where even where even operating a computer to read some web comics got to be too much. So I hit the point where I was really doing nothing. I was sitting and thinking. And as can happen when you sit and think, you go and you review things that you've been thinking about for a while, but that you've been thinking about occasionally for a while, instead of the things, uh, instead of all the time, because now you have the time to think about them and not be distracted by other things. And in my case, and from what I hear, I am not alone in this, this past few years have given a lot of people a lot of time to think. Having a pause to reflect unpacks a lot of stuff. And in my case, I found myself unpacking a fair amount of feelings and thoughts about gender. And I had been exploring, playing around with gender presentation for a long time by this point. I had been talking with a lot of people. I have a lot of trans friends. I have a lot of non-binary friends, whether they identify as trans or not. Um, And I have long felt like the binary concept of gender is neither biologically accurate nor particularly sense-making in a more social space. Um, So I've I've been very open to the idea of there being a wide range of expressions of gender and ways that one can behave and ways that we could potentially shift some of how our society works. And through a lot of that, I sat there going, I'm just a very, very concerned and strong ally. Um, as it turns out, I was not just a very concerned and, and strong ally, and there was a bit more to my interest in the topic than I was willing to admit to myself. And through a range of of things and thoughts and really asking myself some questions, I finally went, okay, maybe maybe I'm not cisgender. 
Maybe I don't fully identify with, with the gender I was assigned at birth. Okay. If we're willing to unpack that, we're willing to go into it. I've got all the time in the world, clearly. Um, all right, self. Let's open the door. There's this wide range of things you can play with. Let's take a look at it. We're going to go ahead and set ourselves up and, and alt on the internet so we can explore and we can say we'll be whatever we want to be today and we can try something else tomorrow and none of it has to stick but we can explore it with some friends who we know we can trust with it. And my brain said boy. <laughs> I'm on your team but it never stops being funny. It, it's, it's never stopped being funny. It was like it said Thank you for finally showing up. Yes, hello, we are a guy, we are a dude. Welcome to Mantown. And I was like, but there's, but there's so many options though. There's this whole wide range, what do you, what? Yes, man, thank you. It was 100% just the way, apparently, I have a very all or nothing sense of self which is fairly honestly accurate to how i approach the world in a in a regular sense so despite the fact that i fully feel like the binary is nonsense apparently i fully jumped from thinking that i fit mostly on one side of it to very much on the other side of it um and it's that weird thing of it both feeling a little bit like it took me by surprise and every thought looking back over my life. I go, oh, no, this makes sense. I mean, I have friends that I literally told, oh, I'm such an egg. Which for anybody unfamiliar with... um with language frequently used in the transgender community, people frequently look back over themselves, over, over a period of time in their life where they were in denial about their transgender identity. And we refer to that as being an egg, being in the egg, because the minute that it cracks and that you hatch as yourself, there's no going back in. <laughs> You're done. That moves forward because moving backwards doesn't really work very well for most people. So I was literally sitting there saying, I'm such an egg, looking at a lot of the stories and patterns of many of both transmasculine people who I knew and transmasculine stories I was reading on the internet and going, oh yeah, no, I totally see how I'm on that path. I guess we'll deal with that later if we need to deal with that later. I'd been doing that for years. And I finally, finally went, okay, uh, this is who I am. I, I am a trans man. I then, of course, went, what am I going to be called? Can I continue to use my given name? And part of me really wanted to because it was an awesome name. And I loved the fact that my parents gave me the name they gave me. But the story involved with me having been given that name 
was so intrinsically tied up in a feminine identity that for me, I had to leave that behind. Um, we'll see whether I can hopefully reincorporate it into some artistic project in the future or something, because I do think it's awesome. Um, but I started thinking, okay, I'll, I'll experiment with a wide range of names. Let's do that. And, um, promptly identified, oh, that I could be William, which is a family name. And I was like, I'm, I refuse to go by the nickname Bill because that is how my family has been doing it for generations. And someone in my life said Liam is an option. And so I thought I was completely joking when I was thinking about using Liam as my name, when I was thinking about taking on the name William. It stuck to you like glue. But it stuck. It It stuck so fast, and there was just no question for me at that point. I just... It took a little bit of adjusting, because everything takes adjustment time. But there was there was no other option at that point. I did continue to like review baby name books and and look at a whole bunch of different places I could pull names from. But it was Liam. It was done. It was it was fascinating to watch you hear it and go, "Oh, that's me," you know, and wa- and watch that process. I mean, I'm I'm sitting on the outside, obviously. I, you have you have my support, and I'm proud of you, and whatever thing I'm supposed to say. But the the reality is, I've been on the ride. I've been watching. I've been watching you work this out, and I think you 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 sat down, and you had no cho- you had no choice but to live inside your own head for a minute without distraction. Yes. And at that moment, processing begins. There's a there's a whole thing in clown training where they talk about this the power of uh, sitting uh, sitting with an idea, of, yeah. of the silence in your own head and learning to listen to yourself. If you've got something this big that you haven't resolved, it's it's going to be the thing that is there whenever you listen to yourself. And if you're not ready to listen to yourself, obviously... You just go find other things to just be listening stay, to. You become a very busy person, I imagine. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad to be, you know, a part of your support team. That's what I'll say. And I'm, I'm really, I'm so lucky because I hit this point where I had the opportunity to think and I knew that I had a friend group and a social circle that was going to be perfectly happy no matter where I landed, no matter if I, I felt like I wanted to use a male identity for a week and then decide, oh, wait, no, that's not for me that they were going to be comfortable with it, that I had a chosen family that was going to be comfortable with wherever I landed. It, it really, it made a huge difference. What I think's really, really interesting, you know, invariably we are, we are continuing to, to work on circusy physical skills and theater things and Mm -hmm. all of these things. And obviously this will we have not even begun to think about how this will come into our work because it's 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 happening right now. Oh, we've started to think about we've, it. We've talked about it. Yeah. But it's it's fascinating to be able to have that that kind of uh, transformation mm-hmm. and transformative process just in the work because you then you are you are no longer subject to any default thought you've ever had. Oh, true. Yeah, and defaults totally totally fly out the window. And it's something that I've always said 
and I learned this. I learned this very early on before I ever came to circus. Is that oftentimes in life, and it doesn't matter what the issue is, mm-hmm. you're you're handed a default answer. And for many people, fine. One of the most difficult things to do is question. I, I don't want to say the word rules here, but that's what they are in my head, like question the rules of whether it's society or culture or people. And the minute you question them, if you are clear of heart and mind enough to hear yourself say no and begin to ask, okay, well, what does that mean? It's it's a fascinating thing to find what you'll discover. I know I found I found different things, obviously, but I found things in that, and I'm excited to see as you come more comfortably into your own mm-hmm. I to see what you discover and you know how neat it is that as a you know as a as a theater maker as a creative partner to you to get to to get to explore that I get to I get to be a part of that it's very cool to me yeah it's very exciting so so at this point I, I have come out to my whole family this is not this is not my coming out of the closet episode of two clowns in the closet it's really weird because we are in a closet and you're not coming out but you already have yes because i've, I've come out to everybody Time travel. in my life yes Time travel. um so this is not this is not me me using a way to to surprise everybody but it is letting wow. letting you guys all all catch up on on what's going on i am going to in advance say I apologize if my voice starts to crack and be awful over the course of this season because as I have been told that is that is how testosterone do and that is part of my journey. So bear with me. I'm I'm going to be here and just just do it. And I am as your supportive friend going to mock you mercilessly. I would expect nothing less. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> well, that that more or less, those minor things, uh, that more or less brings us up to date um, yes, with, with everything that's going on. If you're hearing this uh, and you, you have questions that have been in the back of your head from previous seasons, or obviously we've covered so much stuff, I would love to expand on this. Our plan is is trying to find the balance of okay, these, you know, the topic of your exploration, your gender mm-hmm. being a thing that's, I mean, it's part of our lives. We want to, we want to include that in conversation, but oh, also much, yeah. this is about the performer side of our lives. So we're going to try to find a way to hit a balance on that. Obviously, if you have questions about either, we're going to try to find try a way. To answer them. We're going to yeah. try to answer. And I'm, I'm in, I'm interested in discussing and hearing your viewpoints on the intersections with the work. Oh the, yeah. That's going to be very interesting to be, to dig in and, sure. and play with. But as I was saying, um, if, if you listening have, have questions, follow-up thoughts, you know, want to know stuff about anything, whether it's the, the, the injury stuff, which I think that we could talk about for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, COVID is the thing. I think there's plenty of, there are more reputable sources out there, but I'm happy to talk about my experience. And, and, and then, and then the, this big gender. gender as the big trademark topic, uh, obviously send those questions, but also, you know, the, the questions we, we have been getting have been great because we've got, we've got stories in the queue about circus experiences and, mm-hmm. and, and cool, silly stories that we were going to be sharing moving forward. And I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about a brand new season. Yes. So please send us questions because, yeah. uh, this, this is exciting. I'm really glad to be back in the closet. In the closet with you and with all of you 
and it's it's actually gotten quite cozy for all for for as cold as it was when we first got in here. You know that's because we're full of hot air. Ah, that explains it. And now we've let some of it out to our friends. The hot air. Yes. The faces you're making, I'm just like... That may have been a fart joke. May not have been. That was the question I had. That's the question. We will not... We will not tell. (coughs) We won't tell. In the meantime, thank you for listening and tuning in. Thank you for everyone who shouted at us that you wanted another season. Uh, we wouldn't have done it yeah, if nobody would've. had said something. Yeah, we got we got a lot of people saying come come hang out with us. So we'll see you next time, right here, very soon, on your podcast behind the scenes with the Circus Freaks performers that we like to call Two Clowns in a Closet. And now, theme song. Thank you.